When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Listen up, New York City. Kevin will be recording back-to-back episodes of Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald Show live at Union Hall in Brooklyn on July 7th and 8th. That's right, two nights of Kevin McDonald. You can get your tickets at unionhallny.com or on Kevin's page at foreverdogpodcasts.com. Special guests will be announced shortly, so be sure to follow at Forever Dog Team on Twitter for the latest updates. Today's show is brought to you by Casper.com. Yay! Receive $50 towards any mattress purchase. Mattress purchase, yay! At www.caspertrial.com slash Kevin McDonald. We're also sponsored by WarbyParker.com. Get a free five-day home try-on at www.warbyparkertrial.com slash Kevin McDonald. Five pairs, five days, 100% free! If you're a fan of Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald Show, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and rate and review us. Be mean. Be cruel. Ladies and gentlemen, we are proud to present not Kevin McDonald, but the guy who's going to announce Kevin McDonald, ladies and gentlemen, the announcer. He's not Kevin McDonald, and we haven't learned his name yet. Hopefully, he'll hang around for the party. We can meet him. He seems like a nice guy. Ladies and gentlemen, your announcer, and, and not Kevin McDonald. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Let me begin by saying I love Kevin McDonald. I love Kevin McDonald. I love Kevin McDonald. I love him. 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 I love Kevin McDonald. I love him so much. I love Kevin McDonald. I love mug him. Yes, love mug. I love him so much, I invented a word for a very powerful love that no one's ever felt for any other human being in the history of the world. Lovell mug. I love mug Kevin McDonald. I love mug him. I love mug him. I love mug him. <laughs> I love everything about him. Not just his sense of humor. In fact, I probably love that the least about him. (laughs) I really don't love his sense of humor. Um, Yes, I love everything about him except his sense of humor. I love him. Him, you sycophants. I love his heart. I love his soul. I love what's in his pants. Yes, it's also a physical love. I think very much about what's in his pants. Who wouldn't? I love everything about him. (laughs) I love that he's been divorced two times and counting. (laughs) Watch out, Johnny Carson. I love his way with waiters when they're obviously disappointing him with their service. Look, he'll say. I wanted a vodka with a splash of orange juice, not an ocean, you fucker. I love that when he's angry with a waiter, He'll take the weight out of the word waiter and replaces it with the word fuck. (laughs) Uh, Can we have the bill, fucker? 
Yes, my gentle friends and fellow fans of Kevin McDonald, I envy most of you, those of you who are about to see Kevin McDonald for the first time. If I invented a time machine, I would not go back in time to pre-war Germany and kill Hitler. Mm -mm. See, when you deal with an asshole like Hitler, I think it's best to just ignore him. I think that would hurt him more than anything we could think of doing. I would go back in time, just a little bit, to the first time I saw Kevin McDonald live. Seeing Kevin McDonald for the first time is like losing your virginity. I actually did lose my virginity watching a Kevin McDonald show. Kevin is pretty free with his audiences. He lets them do whatever their bag is. The guy next to me was cooking meth and laughing. I was in the third row having sex with my best friend's mother. After hearing Kevin's joke about a dental salesman, it's like I came twice. Yes, a warning to those of you in the front row, I ejaculate a lot during the Kevin McDonald show, so um, maybe too much? Okay, uh, and now, ladies and gentlemen, I am happy and proud to introduce a man that I love a mug very much, Mr. Kevin McDonald! Oh, there he is. Thank you. Thank you very much. And let's have a big hand up for our announcer, who I met sitting in my driveway reading Catcher in the Rye. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you. Now, I have to uh, admit something. I would like to admit something to you right now, um, uh, right this instant. An opinion, if you will. I would like to admit uh, an opinion. I have many opinions. Many, many opinions, ladies and gentlemen. I'm an opinionated person, um, and not all my opinions are popular. Uh, they're not all popular. But you know what? I'm not here to win popularity contests. I'm really not. Even tonight, I know that I'm the 27th most popular person in the room, and I'm a celebrity. I'm the celebrity that you came to see. Um, I'm an unpopular, popular person. I get it. I get it. I get it. That's okay. My opinions are important to me. For example, if you can't handle that my opinion, Timothy Dalton was the best James Bond, then frankly, screw you. <laughs> screw you and the horse you rode in on. Yes, screw your horse. Uh, screw the both of you. Why do you even need a horse in Los Angeles? Screw you for having a horse. That's just one of my opinions. I'm opinionated. <laughs> so... Not all my opinions are popular, but I would like to admit something to you right now. I've been thinking long and hard about this, and I have to get it off my chest. I don't like children. <laughs> I don't. I don't like children. They don't like me, so we're okay, but I don't like children. I, I don't like anything about them. I don't like their height. Uh, I don't like their squeaky voices. I don't like their attitudes. Bad attitudes bad attitudes. I, I hate that they're always wanting things like, like food and love and shelter. They haven't earned any of those things. They haven't been out in the real world. They're whiners and I just don't like them. Of course, I don't mean my own stepchildren, especially since my mother, uh, their mother, <laughs> my partner, will be listening to the podcast. No, my stepchildren are, are perfect beings that come, came down from a golden ray of starlight in the sky and whose souls reside in pink bubblegum colored balloons. But generally, I don't like children. I, I think our society spends too much time protecting children. Uh, much too much. In my neighborhood, you have to drive 20 miles an hour from 9 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. when you're in a six-block radius of any school, Monday to Friday, every week, <laughs> even on holidays, to protect children. Uh, it's a little strict. I believe at 10.30 a.m., any kids who are walking in the neighborhood are obviously skipping school and... I think you should be able to run over a skipper. <laughs> They're fair game. Uh, hey, little boy, are you skipping school? Yes, mister. 
That's me miming, putting the thing down. I'm sorry. <laughs> Mime's not a strength. And let me tell, let me tell you something. When my friends have children, I think a little less of them. I think a little less because, because now they're people with children. Oh, I'd love to go to the game with you, Kevin, except I have to stay with my children. Or even worse, yeah, I can go to the game with you, Kevin, but don't you have children? Shouldn't you stay with them? It's a no-win situation with me. When you're with me, there's no winners. Ask all my wives. <laughs> when I'm out in malls or airports, almost any child I see is yelling at their parents, complaining at something. Um, uh, and so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm about to say something that I've heard many older men say when I was younger, and I never thought I hear myself say it, but but, but here I go. And then Kevin McDonald said something that he never thought he would say, though he had heard millions of people say it before. In my day... There, Kevin. You said it. Can I go now? Yes, voice of God. And thank you, voice of God, for helping me with my monologue. No hay problema. He's taking Spanish lessons. In my day... I got the finger. In my day, we were better behaved children. And there's one simple reason. We were hit. We were hit a lot. No one hits anymore. Of course I'm against hitting. I'm a liberal, peace-wanting, love-making, pot-legalizing, Trump-impeaching lefty. But maybe a little hitting wasn't a bad idea. When I misbehaved, my father would come to me and threaten to hit. Even the threatening was good enough to stop you. I will hit you with this belt if you don't stop. I stopped. And after a couple of misbehaving incidents, all he had to do was touch his belt. <laughs> I stopped. Uh, but sometimes it went past threatening. It, this was the 70s and he was an alcoholic. Um, <laughs> once he, uh, he was drunk and I was misbehaving and uh, he said to me, all right, you're getting the belt, mister. Take off your pants and underwear. Don't know why you always tell me to take off my underwear. Don't know. Uh, go to your bedroom and assume the position. So there I was in my bedroom um, with my pants and underwear off in the position, leaning against my bed. Um, and uh, three hours went by. <laughs> my mother and sister kept walking past me. So did the guests. Oh, yeah, we were having a party. My dad had drunkenly fallen asleep on the stove again. And now I've grown into an adult who doesn't like children. You know, maybe what I should be trying to say is that, yeah, may, perhaps sometimes I should realize that my opinions might be formed by deficiencies in my own personality. Maybe the thing that I think about other people come from a place of my own selfishness. Maybe I'm just a self-centered creature of greedy habit. Maybe when I'm in the room, and not the entire center of attention, I dissolve into a blazing fireball of childishness and strike out and, and blame everybody but myself, even children. Maybe I should realize that the sun doesn't revolve around me. I'm not a planet. I'm a person. I'm a flawed person who should be more understanding of the other people around me. Or maybe what I'm trying to say is, it's okay to hit children. Hit children. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right, hit children. Let's go on with the show. Thank you. I love when you preach violence against children. It's sexy. I would like to start with a song. 
It's a famous old Cuban salsa song from the 60s that I wrote myself. Yes, a famous salsa song from Cuba that I wrote, in which I translated the lyrics from Spanish to English. And by translated to English, I don't mean that I wrote the song in Spanish and then translated it into English. I don't know Spanish, so I just wrote it in English. So here it is, a famous Cuban salsa song from the 60s that I wrote. Please feel free to get off your chairs and move to the salsa beat. Nobody can write a salsa song like the Cuban masters from the 60s, though I wrote this one. And it's called... I have a roommate! Let's dance! And it goes a little like this. Well, actually, it goes exactly like this. I wrote it. I said I was your friend, but I worked for the government. I spied on you for them. Now you're in jail for 27 years. You won't be in jail that long. You're already 56. Yes, you'll die in jail, which means I will pay more rent. I tried to get you to eat healthy. I made you lots of salads. I was a pretty good roommate. And now you'll die in jail. I wish you didn't write those dark poems against the state. There's no good rhyme for Castro, but here's one for roommate. Betrayed! Let's dance! We met at the salsa party You were looking for a roommate You were a poet and real arty I said I was a spy, you thought I was being ironic I come on visiting day I always bring a salad I signed the Castro poems on your wall Now you'll have ten more years in jail I have a new roommate who wash the dishes as I dry. I'll never make a salad for him cause he is a double spy. Who likes to dance? And now ladies and gentlemen, um, we're gonna do a sketch, a whole sketch. We're not going to stop halfway through. We're going to do a whole sketch. And because I like to confuse uh, the audience as much as possible, let me explain how we're going to do this sketch. Uh, first of all, let me introduce my super fabulous guest, um, uh, Mr. Rob Cordry. Rob Cordry! Rob Cordry! Hello, Rob Cordry. Uh, okay, um, now in a way, Rob and I are sort of playing the same character. We're playing a person named Fredrickson, but when Rob talks, he will be Fredrickson when he talks out loud. When I talk, I will be Fredrickson's thoughts. I will be Fredrickson thinking, he will be Fredrickson talking. Do you understand? Good, I'm confused. Um, are you ready, Rob Cordry? No. Good, let the sketch begin. We take you to a business office, not a real business office, podcast listeners. We're still on the stage at Nerd Melt in Los Angeles. But we are pretending it's a business office, just like they do in comedy sketches all over the world. Okay. 
So we're in a business office. A businessman named Fredrickson, played partly by Rob Corddry and partly by the wonderful, and may I add, beautiful Kevin McDonald, is sitting at his desk. And Mr. McDonald really is beautiful for a man his age. I don't know what he did to his hair today, but it's something special, his hair. The curls are thick and bountiful and evenly spread out around his head. And it makes one almost believe that Mr. McDonald is not balding in the least. Which, of course, is totally untrue. Mr. McDonald is absolutely balding. Anyway, Fredrickson is sitting at his desk reading a document. We hear his thoughts. Wow, what a wonderful day. I love to be at work. It's so great to have a job like this one. I get my own desk! Wilcox, another man who works at this firm, enters the office. Hello, Fredrickson. Fredrickson talks out loud. Hello, Wilcox. Once again, we hear Fredrickson's thoughts, which gives us another chance to hear Kevin McDonald's melodious and tone-perfect voice. It makes me tremble. Oh, good. Glad Wilcox is here. I can ask him about this report. Hey, Wilcox, can I talk to you for a second? Sure thing, Fredrickson. Fredrickson walks over to Wilcox while looking at the document and not paying attention to where he's going. I was uh, reading your report, and it's very well done, but... Fredrickson looks up and realizes that he has walked very close to Wilcox. We hear his thoughts. <laughs> oh, no. I am far too close to Wilcox. Carry on. Act normal. Like you meant to get this close. I'm a little confused about this paragraph on page three. Good move. Good move. You're a bit too close to him, but don't make a big deal out of it. If you act like it's weird, he'll think it's weird. Just stay where you are and make it seem like being this close is the most natural thing in the world. Fredrickson looks straight into Wilcox's eyes. They are less than six inches away from each other. Which uh, paragraph is it? Oh, <clears throat> oh, this paragraph right here. While pointing to the paragraph, Fredrickson's hand accidentally touches Wilcox's. We hear his thoughts. Oh, no, bad move. You're touching his hand. Don't move it! Keep it there. Act normal. Make it seem like touching his hand is the most natural thing in the world. In fact, go the other way. Uh, yeah, this, uh, the one about last month's sales. He begins to hold Wilcox's hand. <laughs> Firmly, but gently, Wilcox stares at him. We hear Fredrickson's thoughts. Okay, bad move. Don't act weird. Make it seem natural. He starts caressing Wilcox's hand and speaks. Uh, it, it seems I worked out a different number than you have. Let me see. Wilcox takes a report as Fredrickson continues to stroke his hand. Then Fredrickson moves Wilcox's hand to Fredrickson's heart. Good move. This hand caressing idea of yours is brilliant, my friend. For all we know, you're a sensitive soul who goes around gently caressing the hands of his co-workers and not a weirdo at all. Well done, sir. Well done. Ah, I see what's wrong here. <laughs> it's a typo. The, your number is the correct one. <laughs> Great. Problem solved. Good, good. Now keep in character of a touchy-feely guy and pat him on the bum. 
Nice job. He goes to pat Wilcox's bum. Wait, don't do it. He hesitates. No, go ahead, do it. He moves his hand towards his bum. No, wait, no, do it. No, wait, no, do it. No, wait, no, do... Finally, he puts both of his hands on Wilcox's bum and grabs onto it, almost violently. Oh! (laughs) Really in there, I see. Uh Uh-oh, bad move. Yet, he continues to hold on to Wilcox's bum. (laughs) You're trembling. What exactly is going on, Fredrickson? Think quick, think quick. You can maneuver out of this just to let him think you're a weirdo. Uh, I'm gay. No, you're not. Bad move. <laughs> Wilcox stares at him for an uncomfortable beat. Fredrickson finally lets go of his bum. <sighs> I get it. You haven't come out yet, and <laughs> listen, believe me, I, I understand how tough it is. <laughs> Hiding your true identity in an office full of straight people. <laughs> Listen, you sensed I was also gay. I know that. You needed to approach me. That's not true. Tell him the truth. Yes, exactly. What happened? (laughs) You seem like an interesting guy. Would you maybe like to go out with me tonight and uh, get something to eat? We can talk and start to get to know each other. Tell him the truth. Tell him the truth. Tell him the truth. (sighs) Yes. Yes, I'd love to. Bad move, bad move, bad move. Great, I'll pick you up at your desk at six. And uh, you know what? You are so brave. (laughs) I think we should really follow your lead and maybe uh, take the natural conclusion to things or whatever that conclusion is. Maybe. Now's the time. You tell him the truth. You tell him the truth now. This can't go any further. Better you think you're weird than a potential lover. Absolutely. Uh, Everybody, please gather around. Please, Fredrickson and I have an announcement. No, we don't. No, we don't. No, we don't. No, we sure do. (laughs) Fredrickson and I support and live alternative lifestyles and are going out tonight to see if we can pursue a relationship. Oh my God, what do I tell my fiance? Isn't it wonderful? (laughs) Tell them, tell them, tell them. Thank you. Bad move. And that's the end of the sketch. I felt I had to tell you it was the end because Mr. McDonald doesn't really... um, Thank you, everybody. Thank you. A big hand for Rob Corddry. Rob. Rob Corddry. Rob, stay. May I interview you, Rob Corddry? For you, the listeners of Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald Show, Casper is offering $50 towards any mattress purchase at Casper.com. The Casper mattress is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It's got just the right sink. Just the right bounce. It's made up of two technologies, latex foam and memory foam. They come together for a life well slept. The Casper mattress is now the most awarded mattress of the decade. So what are you waiting for? Go get one! To receive $50 towards any mattress purchase, go to www.caspertrial.com slash Kevin McDonald. Again, that's www.caspertrial.com slash Kevin McDonald for $50 towards any mattress purchase. We're also sponsored by Warby Parker. 
Warby Parker is offering Kevin McDonald Show listeners with a free five-day home try-on to give you the opportunity to check out their glasses. Warby Parker makes buying glasses online easy and risk-free. Their home try-on program allows customers to order five pairs of glasses to be shipped directly to them where they can try them on in the comfort of their own home and get feedback from friends, family, colleagues. Users can keep the frames for five days before sending them back free using the prepaid returning shipping label with no obligation to purchase. To get your home try-on today, go to www.warbyparkertrial.com slash Kevin McDonald. That was fun. I'm going to do it again. That's warbyparkertrial.com slash Kevin McDonald for your free five-day home try-on. Um, uh, Rob Corbery! Some wadded up questions. Yay! I have a wad of questions. A wad. Uh, thank you very much for doing this. Um, you know, The Daily Show, the kids in the hall always felt like we were comedy cousins to The Daily Show. That's not a question. Really? Yeah. We were like cousins. Uh, we always felt that if we were political, we always felt that we read a newspaper, that we would, um, we would have done political <laughs> Oh, that's an honor. That's an honor. But I'll get to the Daily Show questions later. Um, first of all, uh, Rob and I were in a pilot. Wait, he created the pilot. He was pilot. I had a small part. The Hindenburg explodes. Now, was it not picked up, or did you? are you guys I doing have a, it? And, uh, it's, you a it? It's, it's a good story. It's a good so story. So he did not have a small part. Kevin played the captain of the Hindenburg, um, <laughs> the Blue Baron, uh, right? No, the Blue Baronet, yes, I believe. A, yeah, the, the, the Red Baron's um, lesser-known brother. And um, he's now piloting this airship, uh, and it's called the Hindenburg Explodes, and uh, basically every episode, the Hindenburg Explodes. <laughs> and uh, so this is an adult swim show. Er, we, we, pitch, we, we made it for adult swim. And uh, so... Hi, everybody. Tim Heidecker here with huge news. We have... A terrific episode of Office Hours Live prepared for you. We had the great stand-up comedian Kyle Kinane come in and a very special in-studio music session from legendary Emdu Mokhtar. You're not going to want to miss this one. You can find it on your podcast app of choice by going to Sears or Macy's and getting an iPod and then coming home, charging it up and listening through your app. The guy that runs Adult Swim loved it. He kept asking us, too. He's like, can you add... He lives in Atlanta. Can you add more Nazis? Just more Nazis. They're funny. It's funny to see Nazis do stupid things. So there's a lot of Nazis in the show. Um, and, uh, and then Adult Swim had this huge controversy with this show, Million Dollar Extreme, that was accused of being a, an, an alt-right comedy show, whatever alt-right is. Um, makes them sound cool. I'm not quite sure if yeah. that's even... Can't they get a worse name? those people exist, it's like we call something that, but that's... I don't even know it if it's like a It sounds like people that vote for Trump but listen to Wilco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just thought of that joke. I swear to God, I didn't come with it. I my God, you came up with that right now? I came up with that right now. Oh my God, that's a good one. 
Woohoo! This is going great. This is going great. This is going great. Sorry, go on with the story. And um, and so they got uh, they they finally um, you know Brett Gelman quit the network over it. It was a huge to do, and and uh, and then it came time to watch our pilot and see whether they wanted to do it or not. And it's like the the Nazis in our show were dumber than the Hogan's Heroes yeah. Nazis. It's yeah. yes. it's like Nazis could not be less threatening. Yeah. Um, but he was like, I just can't do a show with Nazis right now. I can't, my first show can, that I pick up can't be one with a bunch of Nazis in it. You start on a bus to Hitler. And I'm like, fair enough. I have no argument for you at all. So we are pitching it around. And um, oh. who's not going to want to do a show called The Hindenburg Explodes? And it explodes every Every week. fucking every episode. Get it through your heads. There's a time traveler, right? And he goes back all the time to try There's to stop a time. There's a time. John Cho plays John a time Cho. traveler. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so good. So you're not lying to me because I don't get adult swim up in Canada. You didn't just recast the part. I could be lying to you. You could be. Yeah, you wouldn't even know. I guess it's up to me to research. And you'll forget before you uh, do research. Yes, so I will. Maybe I'm lying. <laughs> you're right. That was I, a pretty good lie, I Cordry. <laughs> if it was. Now I have some normal questions. Uh, I read in Wikipedia that you. <laughs> <laughs> Wikipedia always gets. You went laugh. deep. I went deep. Yeah, my research department is uh, <laughs> Wikipedia. Uh, <laughs> but I like I spent forty five minutes on it. Uh, so um, that you went, uh, you studied journalism for two days. Yep. And then you quit journalism. You stayed in school. You switched to English. Now, uh, first of all, what attracted you to journalism, and then what made you change your mind about it after two days? What attracted to me to journalism was that I liked writing in uh, high school, and that was the only thing I um, could, th the only context within which I could place a writer. You know, uh, so I was like, well, I guess I'm going to be a journalist. My dad wanted me to write um, technical. He wanted me to take technical writing, like uh, write instruction manuals. Oh. And so. He's a very practical dude. Uh, yeah. And so Come I was on, like, Rob, it's well, writing. I don't want to do that. Um, and so I, I became a journalism major. And then when I got to school, I was away from my parents for two or three days. I realized like this is I don't even fucking know what journalism is. I, I don't want to do this at all. These are this is for serious people, and so I did what everybody else did does. Did I? It was an English major. And then you switched to acting, or you just did a lot of acting? No, I, I became. I only read all. I didn't read all the Wikipedia. <laughs> it does drag after a while. It gets boring. You should have wrote it. I know. I know. Um, the uh, I I took it on as a double major. Theater is a double major, but I only did that so I could get into the acting classes. All right. I didn't. F I didn't finish the theater major because uh, I didn't want to take lighting. It's <laughs> <laughs> for losers. Fucking a. <laughs> Fucking a. All right. And uh, this is what fascinates me, though I'm a boring person who's fascinated easily. So here I go. Go ahead. You're a comedian, but you. Th but but you were an actor first. When did you think that it was switched to comedy? Did you think you were a comedian that you were learning through acting? Um. I think. Well, I. This is something I learned later on. I was always cast in, like, I, I got to New York in 94, right after graduating high school, and I was, I did a lot of, I did a year's worth of shitty Shakespeare 
off, off, off Broadway. That's real acting. Yeah. And, uh, Did you play the fool at least? I always played the fool. That's the thing. <laughs> In you. retrospect, I was always playing like... And then I went... I had this thing where I, uh, I didn't... I realized like I thought I was a pretty good actor, uh, but I didn't know how to audition. And that's the most important thing. So I... I got backstage newspaper at the time it was, and I uh, just went out on every audition I could, like literally everyone that would let me in the door. Um, and I started actually booking things after a while. And uh, and then one of those things was a sketch group, a really um, on their way out sketch group that was like, we need some new blood. Let's put it out at backstage. Not like grab one of your friends, which is the way it's supposed to happen. Um, so, yes. uh, in my experience, your five friends in Toronto, Second City, want to hire because you say uh, they say you're too weird, and you think that means you're not good enough. So you say, why don't we start a sketch troupe and you go to a club called the Rivoli? That's what's happened with all my other sketch groups. That's what's happened exactly. <laughs> but uh, so I got into this sketch troupe, and I really didn't. It wasn't really my thing, but I loved comedy, and I started writing, and I started trying to change that, and and make it a, a thing that I loved. And then I started my own sketch group uh, at the same time. And then I found the Upright Citizens Brigade and uh, and then got into classes there. And then I was... When did it switch in your mind that you were a comedian? Or are you? Are you not? Like, okay, here's another... Forget that stupid question. Well, what is a comedian? No, what is a comedian? What, I mean, what I, do you, I when, you, when you think of a comedian, do you think of stand-up or do you think of me? No, I, you're so right. Like yeah. When I, when I go to customs and they go uh, occupation, I don't know what to say. <sighs> if, I, if I say comedian, then they say, tell me a joke. And then I say, I, I don't know any jokes. And they laugh. Yeah, you're right. I don't, I don't do jokes. Yeah. I don't do jokes. Yeah. But is it then as a, and as, as a stand-up comic, a comic? Yeah. And um, like a, Do I say sketch comedian? That sounds yeah. so stupid. So I don't know. I mean, I've always just been an actor. And then... I do funny acting. Okay, let's act out. Let's improvise. <laughs> okay. I'm at customs. All right. All right, uh, uh, all right Mr. Cordry, occupation. Oh, me. It's me. Yeah. All right. Um, actor, producer, writer. Self-employed, oh, really. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I almost had a joke that I went blank on it. I, uh, <laughs> I remember the setup. <laughs> I forgot the, the joke. Uh, so, you're an, that's what you, so you're an actor, producer, writer. Would well, that's what I'd tell customs in an improv sketch. <laughs> I mean, All right. I have gotten paid for those things at some point. I thought but it would be a psychiatrist. I thought it would be better for the detail would be better for the uh, improv. Now, have you done straight acting? I don't know why I'm obsessed with this. Will you do, if you like, uh, you would do it in a second. Oh, yeah. No, I'd, I'd do it. I, I don't think it's much different. I don't think of it as, I don't think of it. I mean, the only thing that's different is that the, the atmosphere on set is different. Like, people laugh a lot less on a drama than they do on a comedy. I can't imagine doing a tragedy and being in the trailer all day is something really sad where I'm about to kill my son. Oh, my I God. I can't and you got, you got there way too early and you have five <laughs> hours before your scene where you're about to kill your son that you love? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you actually still love your son, but for some reason you have to kill him? I can't imagine. <sighs> what are you going to do? I read, I don't know if this is true, but I hope it's true. I read that Bob Onekirk says... That on the first take of uh, Better Call Saul and, um, and all the dr drama he does, he does a funny take, and then he um, and then he does serious after that because he has to get it out of his system. Do you think that's true? Oh, that's really no. That's a good idea. I mean, he, but that's a great idea. Yeah. That's a great idea. <laughs> um, uh, that's worth trying. Yeah. Uh, that's worth stealing. From My him. problem is uh, knowing me, I'm anal. I would just keep being funny. I think. Well, 
the thing is too it, it, the 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 dramas that I've been cast in I, I I'm usually again I'm like the jackass I play the jackass uh, there's a I have a movie on um, Netflix right now called Shimmer Lake I was gonna is, ask it I saw the yeah. trailer I swear to God I'm not being it's great it looks amazing it's great it's a it's great it's a it looks great it it's looks a like murder a mystery brothers, looks yeah like a Coen Brothers good it's a thriller yeah. And but it's but it's very very funny and and Ron Livingston and I play uh, FBI guys who are mostly the comic relief, so uh, that's and my Rain bag. Rain Wilson looks like he's doing drama. What does Rain Wilson look like? He's doing drama. He's doing drama. Yeah. And yeah. Oh yeah, yeah yeah yeah. So he's an actor too. <laughs> yeah, he's an actor. I have this weird thing against actor. Why don't you just say actor? Why don't you just I say you're an actor? Think, like, Scott Thompson, uh, Mark wanted him in the troupe. There were four of us, and, we th- uh, and uh, Scott, uh, Dave and I were prejudiced against him. And he would say, it's because I'm gay, isn't it? We said, no, it's because you're an actor. Because he, like, <laughs> he was like an actor. And we, uh, we, we wow. fought against him for a but long But see, time. then you just stumbled into being an actor as well as a comedian. Well, so like now I you have I'm, to say it. Now I have to say I'm not an actor. Like, I was funny. But I knew I wasn't funny in a tell joke kind of way, so I, uh, I I went to acting college. Everyone's heard the story a million times. I got kicked out after three months, and then I got uh, then I learned the Second City taught uh, imp- workshops. I didn't know that, and so I thought, well, this is uh, this is acting, comedy acting. Yeah. So I want you to right now. I want you to Improv- call yourself something? an yes. actor. Right. Say I'm Kevin McDonald and I'm an actor. Uh, do it. <laughs> I want you to do it and really do it. Own it. Own it. I'm Kevin McDonald. And I'm an actor. And I am. An actor. You're so. You're. Do it. You got it. You almost had it. I'm an act. Act. I'm. I'm copying Fonzie from Happy Days. Where you remember every time he said I was wrong. I was wrong. I was. Sorry, I'm copying. I have more questions. Uh, oh, uh, you, you, there was one of the sketch troops that were actually like friends, and you were like it was yes. a troop you loved. Now, did you think this was going to be the troop that will be Monty Python? Um, uh, yes. Uh, and you thought that? Yes, absolutely. That's so funny. <laughs> you should say that. It's called Naked Babies, and um, we're still together now. We we had a uh, our first show that we were putting up at the UCB. We asked our director Katie Roberts, um, who's uh, you know was old Second City. Um, married to Ian Roberts of the UCB. Uh, she said, oh, whoa, thought he was single. Oh, well. Um, we said, Katie, we had to get her. We, had, we asked her to, we, we called the meeting. We we're like, Katie, so we're about to put this show up. We just want to know, like, what do we do if we, like, get too big? Like, I don't know or if we're ready if we're if we're ready for the pressures of uh, stardom, the impending stardom that's about to be thrust upon us. What did she say? She laughed. She laughed at us, but she was sweet. She was like, she was. I guess you just you know, go with your guts. I guess. Did uh, uh, Dave Thomas of SCTV has his theory about sketches that usually they're um, it never happened to us because we weren't good enough, but they're conquered and divided. Uh, the individuals start getting hired uh, as actors and writers. Is that what happened? And were you first to be conquered and divided? Uh, Naked Babies? Yes. No, 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 no. We were tight. We stayed a, we stayed a trip. There was one other guy that, that was in the group that left only because um, he moved to Telluride um, because he was running away from the mafia in Boston. 
And um, he, uh, not kidding. And uh, are we endangering his life? Is it still happening? Yeah, no, he feels fairly confident right, now. We'll keep it. We'll keep it. In. Yeah, but he's fairly confident now. It's it's fine. I think they're all in jail. All those guys are in jail, or or they think like, oh, those days I used to kill people. What an idiot. Um, and uh, he's uh, and he w- would have us up there for a comedy festival every year. So we're still, you know, he's an honorary member. What was your favorite sketch from the troupe? You don't have to. If you don't remember, if someone told me that, I would freeze uh, too. You don't have to answer this, but I'll give you seven seconds. Six, five, Fuck. four, three. I don't know the one where I'm, I play a dad and I'm, I'm bringing home the bacon for the family. I don't know what we used to call it, but I literally bring home bacon. Um, I mean, what? How can that go wrong? That's gonna. That's a gem. And you didn't mime it. Like you, you had to buy a lot of bacon for every show. I might have mimed it. I'm not sure. I don't remember. <laughs> when Bruce did Cabbage Head, it was a stage thing. And I, I remember it was so sad. Like The show was at 8, and there he was at 6. We were eating, and he was carving his little cabbage. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you guys didn't have people to carve the this, cabbage this for you? This was a stage troupe. Like a, oh, like, oh, oh, a TV oh. show. And he'd eat a little sandwich, and he'd carve a little cabbage, and he'd put it <laughs> on his head. And it wasn't enough. It wasn't good enough. <laughs> and then the cabbage started falling apart. And he must have gotten really mad. Yeah. And then he was just in a bad mood for the show. Yeah, if we made a joke about it, he would have uh, punched us in the yeah, throat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, um, uh, I have so many questions. But they're going to tell me to shut up soon. You're way better at this than I am. Thank you very much. Uh, did, how did you get The Daily Show? How did that happen? How did that happen? Uh, it was just a traditional um, auditioning process. I, I heard about it. Saw you Naked Babies? Yeah, yeah, probably. I mean, we were around. The Liz Lewis casting was casting it, and we were around. They were around UCB. And uh, and I just it was just a like went in to read for it, but that was the audition that I worked the hardest on because I knew I could do that, you know. I knew like that that was um, I knew that was something I want. I, I was a fan of the show before John Stewart was even on it. All right. And uh, all right, yeah, Craig the Craig Kilborn, the Lost Days, the Lost Days of the I remember Daily that. Show. I remember that. Yeah, and um, so I really wanted that, and I. Uh, did you wait a long time before you found out, or did, did you when you left the audition? No, well, the, I had a callback at um, in the studio with John at the desk, wow. and it was so. It's not as scary as like you hear the SNL auditions, right? You know that that nobody laughs and everything, because I started and um, I could read a teleprompter. Basically, if you could read a teleprompter, you're on the show, because there's <laughs> some people can't, and. Um, and uh, and I made him laugh, and and I just relaxed because I knew I just knew at that point that I that I'd probably get it. Wow! I did an audition with Julie Louise Dreyfus. She laughed her head off and she couldn't finish the, uh, the audition. And I walked away going, "I'm not going to get it." And I didn't get it. That's not a good story. <laughs> 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 she couldn't finish the audition. <laughs> I, I can't, I can't, but I didn't can't. her laugh? Oh, you didn't finish the audition because she was laughing too she, hard. Yeah, uh, she kicked me out. This oh, was the that one was her. Shows in the early oh, 2000s. that was that was her ploy. I'm gonna laugh him out of the room. Is that what she? Th- <laughs> I'm gonna laugh this weirdo out of the room. <laughs> happy were you uh, when I always lo- love this stuff the kids in hall the biggest thing that happened to us was uh, we weren't canceled this year we got through uh, now and I asked Susanna Hoffs when I interviewed her what was it like to have a number one record when you found out you were on daily show wh- how does that feel well it was felt great um, but I didn't really get it uh, yet I didn't really get it and it wasn't until uh, a couple weeks later when um, I had a show a naked baby show at the UCB one night because the show was in New York and and uh, 
and then all of a sudden at the last minute they called me down to the studio to do to do a thing um on the show yeah and i would miss my show and i was like oh shit well i can't and colbert was there and i was like i can't i got a show i mean i i'm gonna leave these guys in the in the you know in the lurch I, i i have it i have and he got right in my face and he was like this is your show you did it you did it it's that's over <laughs> and that's i think when i kind of realized it and uh it was bittersweet have the uh, has your troop ever forgiven you for no that? i told them to fuck off <laughs> yeah i wiped the dirt of them off my heels and kept on moving no they're very they you see them in everything these days there's there's brian husky seth morris john bowie Speechless, John Bowie and Spe- John Ross Bowie and Speechless, Speechless. Oh, you don't watch shows. Only two people watch shows with disabled people in them. Uh, and then, w- were you still not hired after that one appearance? It was like one person at a time till they finally hired you for good, or for the Daily Show? For the Daily Oh show? no, I was in. That was it. That, that yeah, was it. I was in. Uh, but you know, I still thought I was an improviser. You know, and, and that was my priority. But uh, no, and then that was. Um, I, then I realized it, was, it wasn't until we got to the conventions, because George Bush was very good to The Daily Show when I was on it. Well, I was on it a very good time. I got in at the right time. It was the only time in my life I got in right at the sweet spot. Like something's too good. Yeah, yeah, right. I, like I, yeah, that's too good. Like I missed, I missed punk rock. I missed everything great. Um, <laughs> But but that I got it right the in the right in the in the right moment and um and when we got to the conventions and all the other journalists would like Joe Scarborough from Scarborough Country <laughs> g- gave me a, I was enveloped in Scarborough Country like he took <laughs> and he rocked me back and forth you know and and that's when I knew like oh shit this is something we yeah we're making an impression and yeah. now I have to pretend we're not <laughs> yeah. Is there one story you did that particularly stands out? As uh, yeah, that, yeah, when it was that year too. It was the convention in Boston. Um, I'm from Boston, and I did sort of a um, welcome to my hometown, Boston, Massachusetts, and it, and it just devolved into this drunken, narcissistic, uh, you know, journey of my own. Had nothing to do with the town, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, that was that was my favorite. Yeah, that sounds very funny. Uh, I'll explain every every frame to you. So, uh, John Stewart, uh, how great don't was he? care for him. Okay, the next question. Um, <laughs> no, were you, uh, were you influenced by him anyway? Oh yeah, yeah. He was, uh, you know, very. He's a, an easygoing guy, easy to get along with. He's like, a, he he would. Uh, I had a in that Boston piece. I had I. Got two of my friends from Watertown, Mass. on, and they would they would say in the piece, "Come on, Cadre," and we brought them back for two or three more. So that would became a thing with John, you know. So he every time he saw me in the Hollywood, so he was that kind of guy. He was like a noogie guy, you know. But also, you know, he he would read five books a day, and when you showed him one of your pieces, like you brought it back to, sh- and now it's time to show John. He had notes, and they were always right, you know. And 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 he knew. I learned how to really sort of craft a joke uh, for the for the TV. Um, <laughs> and, and the movie. 
No, no, he doesn't know a fucking thing about that. The TV. Don't learn that elsewhere. Um, no, it, so so yeah, he was an intimidating yet um, not so. Also, his notes. I will say this, and this is sort of a Daily Show in joke. I don't even know if people are gonna. His notes were not easy to follow. Like they would always be like, so yeah, all right, so just put the thing with the thing. And do the thing with the uh, other thing, and then you're you're good. It was, yeah. See, I told you it wasn't gonna be, it wasn't gonna fly. I, I can see people, say that. there's a cup, there's one or two Daily Show alum listening right now. Yeah, who are like the thing stuff. with the thing. Can you believe Cordry? <laughs> How bittersweet was it leaving the Daily Show? It was bittersweet. Yeah, it was hard. But it was also sweet. You were heading to bigger things. Well, supposedly. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, it was. Um, no, it was really, it was really tough. I mean, that was. Did you cry the last day? No, man. I didn't <laughs> Sorry. Cry? I'm not gonna. What, I'm not Busted. a baby. Um, yeah, I cried a lot. I, I mean, uh, I cry all the time. Uh, so probably I cried. Um, I, uh, I, uh, I remember. You know, it was. This was the biggest compliment John Stewart ever gave me, and I don't know if he knows that he gave it to me um i was uh i was i had i had given the other producers the news and i came in in the morning and i was at one of the producers desks and and uh they were talking in john's office somebody was talking in john's office and she said they're telling john right now that you're not gonna be uh you can't do the show anymore and then i heard him go fuck (laughs) and i was like he likes me he really likes me, John Stewart. I thought he might, um, but uh, but yeah. I mean, I was leaving. I was I was bringing a uh, my bride and my my one month old baby girl to Los Angeles uh, City. Uh, this is for the winter. This was for the winter. Yeah, which made it six. She's clapping for the winter. Far out. Six episodes, and then it got canceled, and there was a writer's strike. Yeah. I'm sitting on an anecdote. I love when people say Go that. ahead. I, I, it's, but it, it's not an anecdote that's funny. Ricky Blit, the creator of that. Yeah. He was the, when I moved out of the, my place in Toronto uh, to start with the kids, uh, move in with the kids in the hall, because we were like the monkeys. We wanted to live together. Um, <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, that's that's amazing. Bunk beds. <laughs> oh, oh, that was a dream I didn't know I had. I'm, I'm so glad you... You told me that. Wow. The naked babies and bunk beds. I'm so excited. Like the three suits. Yeah. Ricky Blit, uh, he w- was living in Toronto then, and he was the guy, the roommate that took my place. No. And I remember the guy, my friend was still living there, and he, uh, I never told him that I had moved, that Ricky Blit was there, and I, d- I just, he, uh, Gary Campbell was his name, and he said to me, who's the little man in the overcoat that lives in your bedroom? <laughs> He's an odd duck. He's an odd duck. He's a wonderful he's guy. A, he's a brilliant Very funny. Uh, guy who's an odd duck. Odd duck. A sweet duck. I yeah. once uh, rescued a cat, and I gave it to him, and he called it some name after some Russian hockey player, and it was killing him. It was making him allergic. He had to go to the hospital, but he would not give away the cat. I think he, I think he still had it during the winter. He always used to make Canadian jokes that no one understood around us, and he would laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever get to meet him? Uh, I haven't met him for a while. Did you say that? Have I met him? Have you met him? You've yeah, oh yeah. Him? I showed him around you knew the apartment. Him? Oh, okay, okay. And then uh, I gave him the cat. I gave him the. Uh, I guess we were. 
I don't know if we were hanging out, but I guess I saw him a few times. No, he didn't hang out. No, he doesn't hang out. No. He seemed to stay in his house with his cat. He's got he's just stay in the house. He was at least then, yeah. And then he'd go to Vegas a lot. And then I Yes, had, he's then a I gambler. To, like uh, I had to take the cat to my house to take yep. care of the cat when he'd go to Las Vegas. Yep. And he doesn't drive. So he would um we were shooting at Fox and he he would wait at the uh, gate for people he knew to drive through the gate. This is a <laughs> Creator of a show produced by Seth MacFarlane, so he'd catch a ride. And I was always kind of hoping, like, I love Ricky, but I don't want to have to drive him home. I hope I don't see him at the gate. I believe uh, to to continue Ricky Blit, and we're almost. I have to. We're probably running out of time. But more Ricky Blit. I believe he's one of the original writers of You Can't Do That on Television. Uh, Am I wrong? I think he was. Really? I think so. Wow. Though I think I, st- <laughs> I think he once denied it to me, so maybe I'm wrong, or maybe he just. But I think we can email him and ask him, but you get a seven-page email back. <laughs> as much as I'd like to, dear Rob, as much <laughs> yeah, as I'd like yeah. to. Okay, a few questions. Of, uh, Keep was, going. No, you don't have. You can do whatever suits. you want. Fuck the suits. Yeah, this is your podcast. <laughs> Fuck the suits. You don't have to. All we right. can talk as long as we want. You I, read a Wikipedia page. I read a Wikipedia page. <laughs> Children's Hospital was brilliant. I don't have a question. I just—it was brilliant. Thank and, you. Um, Thank you. How did how does somebody get the, get an idea for that? How how did you get the idea for that? Um, it was uh, well, it was at that time after the winter, you know, after the during the writers' strike, I was uh, I was like college poor, and I had a new daughter, and I was living in a strange city, um, and uh, I I learned how to be efficient. I spent my eight hours a day being productive, learning about productivity. And basically, I, I, so I got really into this system called GTD, get things done. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. David Allen, look what is it? it up. What is it? I've never heard I of it. I don't know. You want to change your life? GTD. <laughs> um, if you like to write lists, right, especially, this is for you. This is what you should be doing with your lists. And, uh, and it, basically, the whole concept is, is that Everything you have to do is outside of your head, and that leaves your brain open for a, a, a still water, right? Am I getting that right? Still a pond of still water um, so for ideas to come. And then uh, my daughter dislocated uh, like a ligament in her, yeah, my at this point, I don't know, three or four month old, dislocated a ligament in her elbow um, when I was beating the shit out of her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because she kept throwing a bowl on the floor. I was trying to feed her, and you got to teach them. Bowls go stay. Get the children. <laughs> um, and it was Children's Hospital, if you've never been there. It's the least funny place in the world, and I said that when I was in there. I was like, this is nothing funny ever happens here. This is the least funny place ever. I hate it here. Um... And then on the way home, everything was fine. Uh, every, although on the way home, it just kind of popped in. My wife was watching Grey's Anatomy at the time, and it just kind of popped into my head. Uh, like, what, what, if you, what if you put that, it, the inappropriate sexual politics of Grey's Anatomy in a children's hospital? <laughs> and, and we sort of, you know, very quickly lost the whole Grey's Anatomy thing and became a show about whatever we wanted to do. 
So if you never beat your child, you wouldn't have gotten the idea. I'm not saying that. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> yo, yes. No. Yeah, yes. Um, yeah. That's why I regularly, I have two kids now. And, um, you know, I think they get it. They have a hard time. <laughs> they really get the crap kicked out of them a lot. But I am just churning out the ideas. Yeah. That's the important thing. <laughs> yeah. No, Children's Hospital is only a gift that gives once. Oh, you you got to go to other places. Uh, two quick questions. Go ahead. Uh, hot Top Time Machine. Uh, th- th- w- w- when you get the script, you go, this is going to be a cult comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that? No, I, I was doing a sort of a dra- comedy drama with uh, Sam Rockwell at the time in New York. And I, this is when you still got scripts sent to you. Right. And I read the spine and it said Hot Tub Time Machine. And I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> And I showed Sam jokingly. I was like, "Hey, I saw our next. I see our next project together." And he's like, "Yeah, right. Hot tub time machine. Fuck that, right?" <laughs> and then I opened the cover, and it said, "Hot tub." The title page said, "Hot tub time machine, based on an in, based on the incredibly true story." And I was like, "Oh, okay. Yeah, I get this. <laughs> These guys get me. These guys get me." And 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 I'm not kidding it's sam rockwell's favorite movie ever <laughs> it's very funny yeah it all comes around uh, one last question uh i gotta ask this what's it like to work with the rock i once said oh you son of a bitch maybe you should ask him what it's like to work with robert william cordry <laughs> huh he would say an angel he's a god i want to he's a fucking asshole and he should not be elected president of the United States. I'm glad you asked that. No, he's, uh, he's, you can't be that magnetic on, on screen and, and not be that magnetic in person. Like, he's a he is very he's really, really good dude. Why is he a better actor than me? I don't know. I hate him for so many reasons. I hate love him for so Why many reasons. Why is Ludacris a better actor than me? Ludacris is very talented. He's, he's great. I'm not even kidding. He's great. Marky Mark is better than me. What? Oh, yeah. Marky Mark's way better than you. <laughs> he's, he's excellent. Yeah. Who knew? Who knew? Ladies and gentlemen, thank you, Rob Corbett. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to tell a story. It'll take a second to set it up. We're almost finished, I swear to God. Mike is mine anymore. Are we out of time yet? No, you're great. But in real life, we're good? <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. If I looked at the time on my phone in front of the audience, would it be rude? No, yeah, we're good. Thank you very much. We're not cutting this part out of the podcast. <laughs> All right. I think it's better uh, this is true. Okay, uh, this story I'm about to tell you is absolutely true. No exaggeration, and you're going to know it's true when you don't laugh. <laughs> That'll prove it! Um, uh, the important thing to remember uh, that it is absolutely, <laughs> I wrote this twice, uh, that this story is absolutely true. Uh, I'm now going to begin the story. Now that you understand <laughs> this is a true story, it only works if you realize that there's no exaggeration. Um, Two years ago, I was in London, England uh, for the first time in my life for a couple of weeks to teach workshops because that's what I got to do to make a living because I moved to Winnipeg for love. <laughs> Winnipeg! 
But at least this time I was in London, England, uh, and not Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Unless you're from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, then I'm only kidding. I love Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Um, I was... I was staying in some famous 700-year-old British town. I don't remember the name of this famous town, the one with the pubs and the soccer teams. <laughs> they all have pubs and soccer teams! I don't know which town! It was around midnight on the second night uh, I was there. I was walking to the place where I was staying. I was a little drunk uh, and very happy. Earlier I had been drinking with my British comedy friends. And so now I was walking home. I was soaking in the Britishness of where I was. I had, I had just taken the tube. I was on my way to my flat, walking by the birds, <laughs> and thinking about vegan bangers and mash. I was just a couple blocks away, only I had to pee like a mother effer. <clears throat> they don't have a loo in any of the tube stations, so I was happy but rushing, pee rushing. And then uh, I was very close to my flat, and I came upon a very tall, tattooed, and dangerous-looking skinhead who was standing in the middle of the street and just uh, had stopped a much smaller and older-looking man on the bike with his very strong skinhead arms, and he just started beating on him. Uh, he, he just started beating him up. Um, uh, it was horrible. Uh, <laughs> see? Um, they were both British. I don't know. Maybe they were arguing over which uh, is the best Beatle album. Uh, Revolver! Fucking rubber cell you get! I don't know. I just know the big guy was beating the crap out of the small guy. Um, and so I stop walking, and I freeze with terror. Uh, I'm very good at freezing with terror. I've had a lot of practice in my life. Uh, like the time I walked in my mother's bedroom and saw her having oral sex with her boyfriend from Barbados um, right next to my high school graduation picture. So now I'm standing in London, frozen with terror. There are a few other people in the street also frozen with terror. I know that we're all thinking the same thing. Someone has to stop that skinhead from beating that old man, but whoever does it will start getting beaten up themselves. But someone has to do something. Suddenly, I hear a little girl with a very, very high-pitched voice scream, Stop hitting that man! I look around to see who screamed, but there's no little girl. The skinhead stops, looks at me, and starts walking towards me with his fist aimed at my head. Oh my God, I realize it was me who screamed. <laughs> I am the high-pitched little girl. <clears throat> In my intense super-coward fear, I've become a little girl or a Mickey Mouse impersonator. Stop hitting that man, Goofy! The skinhead is a few feet away from me, uh, fist ready to do some heavy damage. Um, I am so full of immobilizing fear that I can't move. I don't know what to do. I want to hide somewhere, but there's nowhere to hide. I try to crawl inside my pants. Nothing. <laughs> Suddenly, a woman, a real one, comes running out of the house and starts slapping the skinhead. What you fucking doing, hey? Eh? You fucking, get, get in the fucking house. You're making a fucking spectacle out of yourself. Abbey Road's the best fucking Beatle album. <laughs> the little old guy rides his bike away, saved by a real woman with a lower voice than mine. Traumatizes shaking. Uh, I haven't got to the story part yet. I, <laughs> I realize I now really have to pee. So I started running to my flat. I am so shaken up from the skinhead Mickey Mouse impersonator incident that when I get to the front door, I forget how to use a key. I just forget. Especially with my stupid British key that looks like it unlocks a treasure chest in a Johnny Depp movie. <laughs> I have to pee like a banshee and all of a sudden I can't open the door. I know what's gonna happen. I will have a stroke, collapse, pee myself and die. 
And the one person in London who will recognize me on this trip will be the ambulance driver. And in a tragic twist on Jimi Hendrix's death, the headline will read, Low-level Canadian comic collapses and chokes on his own urine. <laughs> Blimey. I missed my P-death fantasy. The doorknob listens to reason and opens. I am inside. Now it's down to the business at hand, so to speak, peeing. I go in the bathroom, unzip my pants, pull down my underwear, but... But, and this is the interesting part of the story, I can't find my penis. There is no penis anywhere. My body has no penis. See, interesting. I could not find my penis. It's certainly not in the usual place, so I started looking in some unusual places. My ear, my ass, on top of the TV. I can find the search to my body and I explore everywhere. I go crazy exploring all over my body. From east to west, I become the Lewis and Clark of my body. At one point, I am attacked by Apaches. <laughs> Finally, I solve the mystery. It turns out that I was so scared that my penis, who's a coward just like his daddy, <laughs> has crawled inside my body. Right inside my body, he has quit his job, deserted his post, left his baby mama. <laughs> he is not holding the fort between my two testicles anymore. I have two very lonely and confused testicles. My penis has given up and moved away from home. My penis is actually inside my body. Well, I have to go in after it. Like a child who has fallen in the well, he needs a rescue party to get him out, but I can't fit into this well, so I try, I try to talk him out. Come on, penis, your daddy loves you. You must be hungry. All the while, I still have to pee like crazy. I just can't find my penis to do it. Finally, and this is true, I can't hold it any longer, and I pee. I pee inside my body. <laughs> I peed inside my body. It's sort of like peeing in your pants, but 100,000 million times worse than that, <laughs> making it nothing like peeing in your pants. Peeing in your pants is a good thing compared to this. The whole thing is so traumatic that I faint naked on the floor having peed inside myself. <laughs> Two hours later, I wake up, I look down, still no penis. Then slowly, inch by inch, it starts coming out of my body like a scared child. Are we okay? Did that skinhead hit us? Don't worry, little buddy. We're good. Come on out. Why is it all wet where I am? You don't want to know. I'm scared. I know you are. I know you are. Will you hold me? Sure, little buddy. I'll hold you. That feels good. Yes, it does feel good. Can we go to sleep now? <laughs> Not yet! What are you doing? What are you doing? Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I'm finishing the story by molesting my own penis. Thank you very much. Thank you. And now we're going to end the podcast with the fun part. We're going to have a, th uh, a mini concert by the very talented. Give a big hand for Lenny Mandel! Lenny Mandel! Good evening. I have an empty locket heart on a 
chain hanging from my neck And when I hear you talking soft southern drawl Wish I was there It isn't how we started looking back so many years But all the time was there a force of nature Circumstance 
That's kind of new. Um, I teach songwriting in a women's prison, and that's kind of where that song came from. Shiny metal gonna 
Thanks. Those great songs. They're great songs. Keep applauding as I point at her. Great songs. I do my stupid penis British story, and then she's so great, I'm ashamed of myself. Thank you very much. That's the end of the show. That's the end of the show. Thank you very much. Listen to it later. I'd like to thank Rob Cordry. I'd like to thank Frank Garcia. Hell! I'd like to thank Eleni Mandel. I'd like to thank Phil Cassell. I'd like to thank Nerdmel. I'd like to thank everybody at Forever Dog. I don't want to thank me. I'm the worst guy. Thank you very much for coming. Thank Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey, and Brett Boehm. For more podcasts, please visit foreverdogproductions.com.